We're continuing with a series of Ephesians. Uh, we started last week with Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I'm going to be concluding Ephesians chapter 1 by looking at the second part of Ephesians. I want to ask you to, tonight, uh, if you're here or at home, please would you open your Bible? Because we're literally going to go through it almost verse, verse by verse. And it'll be good for you just to have a reference point of where we're at. This is a very, very interesting portion of scripture. It's interesting for one reason, is that it captures a prayer of the apostle Paul. You always wondered how did the apostles pray? Well, here it is. He has a prayer of the apostle. And so we're gonna unpack that prayer. But before we get there, I wanna ask you a question. You at home, you guys sitting here, have you ever had to endure through something? And what I mean with that is you had to work hard because you knew at the end there'll be a reward. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Hannah, you, yeah, you going through, through matric, you have to work hard. Because at the end, hopefully, you'll never have to see high school again. There's your reward. You know, um, Bridget, you, you used to run. I don't know if you still run. But, but to get the time, you have to work hard. And you just press on and you endure and you endure. Dan, you need to get the driving range. It's going to help your game, my brother. You know, you have to endure. And so we all got these examples in our lives of where we know that we had to do something and we had to continue to do it and because at the end of this thing, there was a reward, a prize for us. But here's the real question. Have you ever been in this process and you get to a point where somebody gives you advice or you get a nugget of information and you go, I wish I knew this before. If I knew this before, I would have done this differently. It would have been easier. I would have done better. I wish I understood this much earlier in this process. And so I think as I was preparing the sermon that the, what Paul is actually writing about here, that what he's actually going to unpack for us here is something for our spiritual life, which is kind of aha moments. If we would just do this stuff, you know what? We would endure. We would walk this race better. We would be closer to God. We would be fuller of God. The Christ would dwell on us. The love of God will be all over us if we just did this stuff. And so it should be like, oh man, I wish I knew this. As I became a newborn believer, I wish I knew this. I wish I, I put this into my life. And so let's read together from Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what the hope is to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the, in the heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so as we start tonight, we started at verse 15. The first thing Paul says, for this reason, 
simply, I just want to very quickly go through verse 15 and 16. Verse 15, he says, for this reason. He means, therefore, what for? What happened in verse 1 to, 1 to 14? What happened in verse 1 to 14? One, verse 1 to 14 was an amazing story of grace, as Rulof unpacked it last week. It's a story where God tells us that he has blessed us in every, um, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It tells us that we were predestined by God because he loved us to be be called to be adopted as sons. It tells us that he's lavishly poured out his grace upon us. That there's this inheritance waiting for us. That the Holy Spirit is this deposit, this guarantee of this inheritance. And so what Paul is simply saying is, I'm acknowledging that you, the Ephesians, have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I can say that because there's evidence of it. And the evidence is this, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. It's just one little verse, and I don't want to spend a lot of time, but, but it's such an amazing verse because what Paul does here is he, he shows us the two key components to anybody that has a real living relationship with Jesus Christ. The first component is that there's faith in your life. That there's a demonstration of faith in your life. That there's evidence of faith in your life. That when people look at your life, what you do, what you say, what you believe, that the conclusion that they made is that you're different because you are living as a man or a woman or a child of faith. And there's evidence of that faith in your life. And the second thing is that you have a love for other people. 1 John 3, 23 says, and this is his commandment, that as we believe in the name of his son, as we are saved, as we follow Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And so what Paul just picks up on here is two key components. Let me ask you, are they in your life? As a follower of Jesus Christ, are they evident? Is there faith evident in your life? For those around you, can, they can conclude that you are a believer and a follower of Christ, and do you really have love for one another? He then moves on to verse 16, and he begins this prayer. He tells them that he prays for them. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And and again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to just pick out two things. What we see from Paul's life here is this, that he had a habitual, disciplined, constant, persevering, strong prayer life. Why do I say that? Because in Romans, he starts off and he says, I've been praying for you. In Colossians, he, he, in Colossians, he writes, I've been consistently praying for you. In the book of Thessalonians, one Thessalonians, he writes, I'm consistently, continuously praying for you. And so we see this habitual life of prayer in Paul's life. It's not a sporadic, occasional, uh, when I'm in trouble kind of prayer life. It's a very disciplined, habitual prayer life. The other thing which is interesting is we see that Paul commits a lot of his prayer life to praying for God's church. Let me ask you tonight, you tonight, how much time do you spend praying for God's church? How much time have we spent as we've come into this service to pray, God, would you do something special tonight in people's lives? Would you draw the unsaved into your kingdom? Those that hear your word that don't know you, Father, draw them tonight. Father, those that are discouraged, those that encourage them, those that have backslidden, Father, put zeal and fire and bring them back. Father, make your church effective in this community, not only the barn, but Lord, every single church, Rhema, the, the, the United Church, the Baptist Church, Father, put power, your power through these churches so that our communities transform. Man, imagine when the church prays for the church, what the church would be like. And so we learned two amazing principles again from Paul's prayer life there. 
But let's get to what we really want to talk about tonight. Is this prayer that Paul prays. He prays and he asks them. Um, as, as I, let, me, let me just read the prayer again to you. He prays in verse eight, uh, 17. And that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is his immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? I believe that Paul is encouraging us to do one thing and to understand three things. And if you had to do this one thing and understand these three things, I believe that it will have a fundamental impact and shift in your relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things as I was preparing that I was trying to understand is why did Paul pray for them? What was the reason that Paul felt this need to pray for them and, and also to, to write it into, into this book that I've been praying for you? And so as I was reading through Ephesians, I got to chapter three. And in chapter three, in verse 14, Paul writes this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you'll be rooted and grounded in love, and, strength, and the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the, le the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And I believe that why, why Paul felt it such a need to pray for them is because when you pray for something you've got something in mind let me tell you what if I'm praying Richard for your healing I'm, what I've got in mind is that you are healed when I when you pray for some, somebody to have a breakthrough what you have in mind is that breakthrough I believe what Paul had in mind as he got onto his knees and he prayed for this church that they would be full of God that Christ would dwell in their hearts that the love of God would consume them not only understanding his love but being being people full of love towards others and in his mind was this picture of, of a of a church of people that are just so consumed and full of God 24-7, all the days of their lives, they endure to the end and receive the prize and the crown that awaits them. And so if that's the end in mind, what is he praying for? What does he feel is important? In verse 17, he picks this up and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's not praying that they would be filled with the spirit of wisdom or filled with revelation. He's praying that they would truly know him. They would truly know God. That God would open up their, their, their hearts. That God would give them a revelation. That God would give them wisdom so that they truly, intimately, and experientially know God. When we look at this word know, we know that there's two principles. It talks about experientially knowing somebody. That means this. I've got two daughters. Let me tell you, they know me. Why do they know me? Because we live life together. We experience life together. They know what I like. They know what I dislike. They know what makes me happy. They know how they can push my buttons. They know what brings me joy. They know how I'm feeling today. 
by just looking at me sometimes. Why? Because we live experientially life together. And one of the things Paul is praying and one of the things he's encouraging us to do if we want to live this fullness of God is that you and I live an experiential life with God where you know him when you know what he likes, what he dislikes, where you know, let me get to my notes here, he's leading, where you know his kindness, where you know his love and his grace and his mercy and his guiding and his provision and his protection over your life because you've experienced it because you're walking close with him. The other thing that this word picks up on is this thing about intimacy, intimacy within a marriage. The thing is about marriage is that nobody knows you better than your partner, your spouse, because of the intimacy there is in marriage. And so Paul is, 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 is praying for them. He's praying that they would truly, truly know God, not just experientially, but intimately know God, what he loves, what his purposes are, what his plans are, what his will is, what his character is, how he feels about the things that are happening in this world and in your life. You see, our deepest spiritual need is not what we're going to do for God. Our deepest spiritual need is not what, how God's going to use us, what leadership positions we're going to have, what, how much we go to church, what spiritual gifts. Our deepest spiritual need is to experientially and intimately know God. That's what we need. And when we do that, we are full of him. And Christ dwells in us and, he, and his love is, is grounded and rooted in us. I'm not too sure what kind of relationship you have with God tonight. But what Paul is telling us is that an occasional inquirer of God will not be full of him. That those that know about God would not be full of God. Will not be having Christ dwelling in them. And he's encouraging you and he's encouraging me. That if we really want to pursue God, one of the things we have to get right is an absolute passion to want to know him. And not just know about him, but to know him. I think that for many of us it looks like this. We may need to put our TVs off more. We may need to spend less time in our hobbies and our activities. And maybe open our Bibles more. And get to know him in his word. It might mean that every day you and I need to wake up in the morning in the series we just preached and say, Holy Spirit, would you come today? I want every second to be in communion with you. I want to hear you. I want to be led by you. I want to be guided by you. I want to walk with you through this day. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, whatever it is, I'm yielded to you today. It may mean that and more of that in your life. It may mean that you need to, like Paul, start having a habitual, disciplined prayer life so that you can commune with your God and that you can know him. I love the way that Paul writes in Philippians 3, 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, everything as loss. What's he saying? He says, everything I've experienced in this world, everything I've gained in this world, everything this world has offered me, it's loss. I just, my attitude towards it, it means nothing. It's of no value to me. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There is nothing in this world that you and I need more than an intimate and experiential knowledge 
of our God and of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the working of the Holy Spirit in and through you. Paul then moves on to verse 18, and, and I think here yeah, there's three understandings that, that are very important to help us to endure and to walk this, this walk with God and, and, and just to stay focused through all the challenges of life. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And, and let me just pause there. I, I love the way that this works because the picture is this, in a dark room. If I, if I had to say to you, and we put the lights off, and I had to say to you, I've, there's, there's five heaters and there's 15 chairs and there's one door and that. If the room's dark, you, you don't know because it's dark. But when they put the light on, you can put the light on and you say, wow, yes, there are five heaters and there's four chairs and there's one door. Why? Because the light brings revelation to you. And it's enlightened you. And so what he's praying, he's praying this. He's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart, and what's the heart? In the Bible we know that the heart refers to what we understand, what we know, our intellect, our wills. He says, I I pray that in those areas of your life, your understanding will suddenly come alive and that you will see these things. What things? The first thing is this. A true understanding about that this life is not about the here and now only, but it's about eternity. He writes here, he says, I pray that you would know what hope, the hope to which you called. Now this hope that he's talking about here is definitely not this uh, a hope that refers to an uncertainty. Like I hope that people won't fall asleep while I'm preaching. Or Dan, you hope you'll shoot at 85 on Friday. Or I hope I'm going to pass this year. <laughs> you know, I hope I wake up for work tomorrow morning. Hope yeah, re- refers to a certainty. The, the Greek word implies that it's certain, that it's, it's, it's expected. It's a sure thing. Let me give you an example of a sure thing. My hope is in the fact that tomorrow is Monday. There will only be a Monday tomorrow. My hope is in it. And that is the kind of hope that he's referring to. But why, what are you putting your hope in? In Romans 8.22, Paul writes, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, us. We are groaning inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. You know what we're hoping for? The certainty that one day you and I are gonna see Jesus face to face. One day God's gonna wrap this world up and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more suffering and and there'll be no more tears and there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more disease, there'll be no more pandemics. Because eternity in the presence of our living God, the glory of God, we are going to be there. Like tomorrow is Monday, there is a certainty that you and I will stand before God one day. And so we put our hope in the certainty that eternity is coming. The important aspect here is this. The quickest way, I think, to get cold before God is when you, get, when you get the balance wrong. When your life is about the year now and it's not about eternity. When all your decisions are about the year now and it's not about eternity. When I handle my finances for the year now but I don't think of eternity. When I 
um, manage my family and my spouse and my marriage for the year and now, but I don't think of eternity. I think it's one of the quickest ways for you and I to start to deaden our faith and lose the passion for God. Because the things of this world, just, I don't know how you feel, but I, I know that when I, things of this world grab my heart, it's like it squeezes out all my faith. And I have to get myself into the space and say, man, I serve a bigger God. And let me tell you, this is a temporal place. And there's going to come a day, there will come a day, where God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you've endured. And you've seen it through. This, the second thing that I think Paul wants us to understand as we walk this walk with God, as we get to know him, is that we are the bride of Christ. In verse 18, he says, for what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He prays that we will understand what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Often when we see this word inheritance, we think of our inheritance. But if you read this, you'll see that it's referring to his glorious inheritance. What is God's inheritance? Deuteronomy 32, 8 tells us, it says that when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion, his inheritance, his portion is his people. Let me tell you tonight, you, you, me, we are God's inheritance. When you unpack this picture, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, Paul puts a, a beautiful picture alongside this, the picture of marriage. He says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that, why? He might present the church, the inheritance to himself. There's gonna come a day that we will be presented back to the bridegroom the bride will be, me and you, will be presented back to the bridegroom. The Bible tells us that it's the marriage feast of the lamb. That's where this is gonna happen. And so when you unpack this picture, you start to realize it's what we do when we get engaged. You know, when you make this decision to follow Christ, it's like making a decision that you're going to commit yourself to marriage to one person for the rest of your life, and you get engaged. And when you get engaged, it's actually not a trivial thing. It's become a trivial thing. But when you get engaged, it actually is a commitment that you make that I belong to you, you belong to me, I have eyes only for you, you have eyes only for me, I am yours. Until the day we seal that with a ring and we get married, you can have confidence that I'm yours. And so when you look at this beautiful picture, we start to see that when we are the inheritance of God, when you give your life to Christ, you make this promise, Lord, I promise you, I make this commitment to you that I am going to be faithful to you until I meet you, until I see you. Because I know that there's gonna come a day where you are gonna take your bride and we're gonna be united again. But until then, I'm yours. I'm committed to you. The flip side of this picture is this. Which bridegroom doesn't love his bride? As God's possession, I wanna to say to you tonight, God loves you. The Bible says he loved you so much that he gave his only son. Let me ask you a question tonight. Who has loved you so much in your life that has offered up the most precious part of them, their son, their child, for your life? What great love is that? 
What an expression of God's love and the extent of God's love for you and for me. And when you look at this, you start to realize that, that as God's possession, as his inheritance, you are precious and you are valued and you're full of worth before him because he loves you. And he, in anticipation, waits too for this time where you and I will be united to him. As Revelation tells us, it's a beautiful picture. This picture that we are God's inheritance, that we are this bride that have made a commitment until we see him, but know how much we love by him. And the last point is this simply, he prays that they would understand what great power, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's a very simple illustration. This. I don't need to spend much time on it. All I need to say to you is as you follow Christ and all the temptations and all the habitual sins and all the things that are trying to derail you and the, all the things that are trying to steal your joy, let me tell you that what the Bible tells you, that all the power in heaven is behind you so that you don't fall and that you don't have to give in to it and that you can walk victorious and you can, be full of, you can be more than a conqueror and you can see the power of God work through your life because this is what he says, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead and put him at the right hand of the Father, imagine what power that is because in all the intellect of man, we can't even raise a person from the dead, but God did it like this and all that power is working on your behalf so that you will make it to the end and you will endure and you will see him face to face. The key is that will you obey him? Will you call on him? Will you surrender to him? Will you, will, will, will you submit to him because you need him and this power to work through your life? And so as I end tonight, as I started, I asked the question, if you, have you ever done something, if you just knew something, it would have made life much easier? I think this is what Paul's getting at. He, he looks at this church, who, who's a fairly new church, fairly new believers, and he's saying to them, you know what you need? Let me help you, because you are going to have challenges in this life, and you are going to have the difficulties, and you are going to be tested, and you are going to go through trials, and you are going to start struggle through habitual sin, and you are going to struggle with, with disappointments and hurts and pains. And all these things. But in the midst of all those things, you and I can be full of God. Christ can dwell in our hearts. We can be covered in the love of God and grounded and rooted in love. If we just do these things, if we just understand that all we really need is an intimate, experiential relationship and knowledge of the God that you serve. That you would understand in everything that you face, as you walk this walk with God, everything that you go through tomorrow, the next day, next week, and year's time. These three things. That the power of God is with you. If God is for you, who can be against you? That every decision you make has an eternal consequence. Everything, everything is not just about the here and now. It's about where we're going. And the most beautiful part of this whole prayer, I believe, is this amazing truth that you and I belong to God. And if we just understood that, that I don't belong to this world, not to the, the patterns of this world, the world, I belong to God. God. 
And I've made this commitment to God that I'm going to remain faithful to him until I see him. And not only that, but if this truth would come and understanding would come into our hearts that no matter what you're going through, God loves you. He lavishly pours his love out over you. That is, he's, he sees you as precious. That you are so much worth to him. And he's just as excited to see you one day as you meet him face to face. Man, if those had to be the foundations of our, of our understanding of God, we would live differently before our God. We would endure. We would see it to the end. I believe that this is what Paul was encouraging the church through this prayer, encouraging me and you today through this prayer. Let us pray together. Father, we commit this prayer to you tonight. And Father, we echo it with Paul for our own lives. Lord, that you will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you, Lord, know you intimately and know you experientially, that we can say that we know you, Father. We know what you love. We know who you are. We know what your character, we know what your will is, your purposes. We, we, we've experienced you. We've experienced your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your goodness, Lord. We've experienced how you've provided and protected us. And Father, I pray that you'll open the eyes of our hearts, that we will understand these, these amazing principles, Lord. That we'll understand that, 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 <laughs> that, that, Lord, you call us to a different place, that we are only passing through because eternity is our home. Father, that, that, that all the power of heaven is with us as we walk this walk and as we, as, we, as we journey until we see you one day. And Lord, that we are yours, that we're yours, Lord, and we're precious, that we're valued before you. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name, and I pray for every person that's listening and watching. Father, would you, by your grace, help us this week to know you more. For a deeper walk with us. Fill us with the fullness of you, Lord. Let Christ dwell in our hearts, Lord. Let your love, that may we be rooted and grounded in your love. Father, I commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.